Good to see you guys. Anybody here tonight for the first time in men's study, summer? Anybody out there? Jeff, you've been here many times, but maybe the first time here. So good to see you guys again. Um, this is our third session. We'll be meeting again next week. Um, Bob is actually going on vacation tomorrow. That's why he's not going to be here next Wednesday. So I'll be doing the final study for us. So he's going to be doing a couple things. So um, real quick, Kurt, stand up back there. You guys all know Kurt Garland. Um, some of you do, you groups and such. This dear brother um, had the, uh, the blessing of running into him through a set of circumstances that were probably the most heart-wrenching that I've been involved in, uh, in the loss of his son. Um, and yet, um, God brought, we actually, I went to high school with this brother, same graduating year, and Kurt came in behind us, um, but knew him through the, uh, the BC days years after that, knew of him, of course, as well. But anyhow, he came, he got saved, God radically changed his life, he became a part of the men's ministry. But now God has called him up to Oregon, him and his wife and his father-in-law, to start a brand new life up there, uh, a crazy brand new adventure, we don't know, but God knows, so this is actually his last night with us. So let's give him a round of applause, though, for the faithfulness that we've seen in his life. Um, it's just been amazing, guys, we could talk all night about what God has done, but we know God is not done yet, so we told him not to go up there, we'll get lazy, not at all. But before Bob comes up, turn with me to 2 Chronicles 7. We know this passage of Scripture, and as I was reading through the Bible, came across it here, and the Lord spoke to my heart. And of course, I know that you are praying, um, but as we look at, at uh, all that has taken place in our world, in our lives, uh, with this coronavirus deal. Um, only God knows exactly what he's doing, of course. There's all kinds of talk about this is it, this is the last days, this is from the hand of God, and there's, you know, whatever. The gamut is there, and it very well could be. But interesting enough, as I read through this passage, Second Chronicles 7, of course, we know here, as, as we read this before, that this is God's second time appearing to Solomon, and he speaks to Solomon, and this, of course, this is the passage that we use a lot when we talk about we need to pray for our nation, etc., etc., but he starts in verse 12, and the thing that I'll, I'll share that, that jumped out, though, then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said, I have heard your prayer, and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Verse 13, though, when I shut up heaven. Now, who is that I? Who is that? The great I am. Amen. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send what? Pestilence. Pestilence among my people, of course. And we can consider this virus a pestilence, a problem, an issue. Um, and, and obviously we see this is directly from God speaking to Solomon that when God does these things, and why was God going to do these things, and why did God do these things, of course, we know that even Solomon himself turned away from God, went on to worship idols, and was disobedient to God's word to the point where in Second Kings or First Kings chapter 8, I believe, or 11, God basically says, you know what, I'm done with you. The wives have turned your hearts away from me, and, then, and it's over with. I'm going to take the kingdom from your son. And that's when everything fell apart. But God gives a way out. And this is where we guys, I believe that no matter what we think, no matter what we see happening, we still, as the people of God, need to be praying. Because part of you might be saying, you know what, Lord, come quickly. Toast all these people, get rid of them all. They deserve it anyhow, and get us out of here. But what God has commanded us to do is when we see these things, he says, if my people who are called by my name will, of course, the first thing, humble, humble themselves. And that's the toughest thing. The people of America, the pride of America, the pride in our hearts, and yet God is continually not allowing 
anybody to figure this thing out. In Psalm 32, he speaks about God brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Now, we know that there are people working on a vaccine, like I said before. Uh, they just awarded, what, $1.5 billion to, um, I forgot the name of the company, Novax or something like that, who are, is, is actually fast-tracking whatever, and there's a bunch of companies that are racing because, of course, the person who gets this is going to be so rich they won't even be able to see straight. And yet they're still saying that the soonest they're thinking that a vaccine is coming is what, January? Bringing the counsel of the nations to nothing, you guys. We need to be praying. We need to be praying. It could very well be the Lord comes tonight, we're out of here. But just as in the days of Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was going to the people and he was pleading with them, begging, the weeping prophet, please, please, please turn. Jeremiah did not, he, he wasn't set aside and like, okay, Jeremiah, you're not going to go through anything. You're my prophet. You're doing exactly what I want you to do. And you're going to have just an easy, beautiful, wonderful life during all this time. No, he almost died. He was thrown in a pit. He went through it just like everybody else did. And we're going to go through it just like everybody else is until the Lord does take us out of here. But if my people are called by my name, humble ourselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin. So the, the ultimate problem, of course, as we know, is the sin of mankind. Not just our own, not just this state, not just this nation, the sin of the world, who mocks God, who's turned their back on God, who doesn't believe in God, and basically has placed all these idols above the true God. The number one God of this world is what? Money. If, though, we would do these things, he will forgive that sin and he will heal the land. So that's, that's where we're at, guys. That's what we need to be encouraged to do. As much as if it was us, we'd grab a flamethrower and just smoke them, Lord, get them all out of here, be done with the people. No, that's not the heart of God, though. While we wait, while we listen, while we continue walking, while we are steadfast and immovable, we're praying. We are earnestly asking God to forgive the sin, to have mercy upon this nation and heal. And heal. And to throw in just the little part of that prayer that you, Lord, would receive the glory. Because Psalm 46, 10 also says, or verse 8, I believe it says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted on earth. Wouldn't that be awesome? God speaks. The person who's working on the vaccine wakes up in the middle of the night. They're a Christian. They're a believer. And they get on national news. Of course, the media won't portray it properly, but and say, God spoke to me, here's the answer, here's the vaccine, done deal, glory goes to God. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. But I just saw that, the idea that, that when he sends the pestilence, and yes, we have a God of grace, a God of love, who is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and such, and yet he does hold people accountable, and we're seeing it. As far as I'm concerned, that's what we're seeing. God is saying, okay, enough is enough. You, you had your gay pride month and you do all these things and you, you believe all these things and you continue to turn your back on me and mock me and, and shake a fist at me. I believe God is finally saying, all right, I'm going to humble you. I'm going to humble you. And he is humbling. And we got to pray that in this time, of course, that not just hundreds, not just thousands, millions Millions of people turn their heart over to the Lord. Millions of people get saved. Revival breaks out. And then he can take us home. Amen? Amen, Amen guys. So keep that in prayer. But with that, though, our brother Bob is here with the third and fourth installment in his discipleship lesson. So let's welcome Bob Park. He's coming up again. Thank you, Pastor Rob. Whoop. Hello, there we go. 
Um, since there's two of them, I don't want to take long to get started, but you know what I noticed out of that that kind of uh, shakes me? I don't know if you guys saw it, but as it talked about, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and forgive their sin. Who's he saying that to at the start of verse 14? If my people who are called by my name. That'd be us, guys. So we got to make sure we're looking at ourselves and... and um, seeing where we need to put away our wicked ways and uh, get right with the Lord where we're not right with the Lord. Amen? Well, we got to face that. That's what that passage talks about. So anyway, after that heartwarming opening, let me pray, okay? Father God, we do. We ask you to forgive our sins. Uh, we know we have them. Uh, we still fall short of your glory. Pray that you would uh, even now work in our hearts tonight, Lord. You say your word does not uh, return void. So do a work in our hearts this night through your word. Change our hearts, Lord God, uh, that we would be devoted disciples of yours and we could be that, those lights that shine in this dark world and be salt to this world. It needs it, Lord. So change our hearts and, and redirect us so that we walk in your perfect will in these days, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so I know you guys, any, who's been here for the first couple ones? Have you guys been here for the first couple? Okay. So don't get scared that I got two sessions to do tonight, okay? We will get done before midnight. I, do, I promise that. Might be 11, but we'll get done by midnight. On the, <laughs> So, yeah, tonight we're going to do two sessions that Pastor Rob says. I'll be heading out of town tomorrow, and uh, those two uh, first sessions. Our, our first uh, week was, what, the fact of our discipleship? And the second week, who remembers that? The foundation of our, our discipleship, right? That time in the Word of God, that the devotional time. And tonight we're going to cover um, session three will be the fruit from our discipleship. Right, and then uh, lastly, the second half will be the fight in our discipleship. Right, that battle that we face. So the first, the fruit from discipleship. So, what fruit should be manifested in our lives, and what can we do? Can we do anything to help help that happen? That's what we'll start with. And there's two ways that we can be a part of bearing a fruit for God's kingdom. The first way we actually talked about in the first two weeks, by recognizing that we are called to discipleship, to follow Christ, right, from the first week, and uh, being committed to that dynamic daily fellowship of Christ in the Word through the Holy Spirit, right? And then uh, the second is kind of related to it. Remember, if you remember last week, we talked about that our devotions can't remain in our quiet place, Right? We talked about that. I don't know if you remember that, but it has to carry forward out into our daily lives, right? It can't just stay there and say, well, that was a great time, right? We're supposed to bring that out with us and actually live those devotions. And so um, for this week, carrying forward, our devotions is summed up in one word, abide, okay? Abide. We need to abide in Christ. So why don't you turn in your Bibles to John 15, because that's what we're gonna be, I'm going to be teaching out of. And while you do, let me just say that, that uh, the definition of that word abide, the, the Greek word in that is meno, and it's actually a root word, and it's kind of a trippy one. It's always kind of, I always kind of liked it. It means to stay or remain or to continue. And I know you say that kind of sounds a little contradictory there, but the idea is to remain in the Lord and to continue with him. That, that helps me to kind of get the feel for that, right? So we're, we're staying in the Lord. We're staying and remaining. But as we go forward out into our day, we're carrying that with us, right? So, so let's look at um, abiding. Uh, let's look at John 15. We're going to look at verses 4 through 12 and see what we need to abide in and what fruit will come out of it as a result. So we'll start in verse 4. In 5, it says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, 
bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So we see, the first thing we see there, realizes is first Jesus must be in us, right? It's the life of the vine. It feeds that sap, so to speak, into the branch and gives it life, right? And, and secondly, we must abide in him. He who abides in me, it says. Otherwise, if we, if we, we can't receive then uh, the life of the spirit in us, that's going to bring that fruit out of our lives, right? So first two things, Jesus must be in us and we must abide in him. Jesus in verse five says, without me, you can do nothing. If we enter into relationship with the Lord, but we don't continue in fellowship with him, then we're not going to bear fruit. We're not, we're not the branch staying in the vine. But in him, he promises, we'll bear much fruit. And in verse 6, it goes on and we see the danger of not doing that, of not abiding. It says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If we try to, to walk without abiding in him, in that union of him in us and us in him, we're just going to get burned up and withered. I mean, has anybody here, and you can raise your hands, okay, because I'm going to raise my hand right away. Have you ever missed devotions for like multiple days, you guys that do it regularly? Have you, you ever done that? And doesn't that, when you realize that and you're like, oh, man, it's like you kind of got a little crazy there, busy with a lot of things, but didn't after suddenly you realize that you did it, you felt kind of empty, Kind of, kind of burned up and withered, huh? Isn't that kind of the feeling of that? So I think that's a great word for that. I know that's the way I felt. That hasn't happened too many times in my walk, but it has happened a few times. And, and when I do, it always fires me up like that ain't never going to happen again, right? It's not going to happen. And then the second thing that we need to abide in is found in verse 7. Take a look at that. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So the second thing is we must abide in his word, right? And we know that we're the men of the word here, and we understand that. When we do, it says we can ask what we desire, and then it's going to get done. So, so we think that rightly, and we don't get the wrong idea. That doesn't mean anything we want, not really. In John, in John 14, 13, a little further back, it says, whenever, whatever you ask in my name. And so the idea there is in my nature, in, according to my will. Because that's a, a name in, in, in the Hebrew, is, it kind of was significant. It meant something, like the, the names of God, right? So when we ask in his name, then we'll get our answers. In, in James 4.3, it says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures, right? So it's got to be lined up. We're asking in his name according to his will and what he wants. And that's what we're going to do. If we're abiding in his word, that's what's going to come out of us. You think about the word desire in the sense of what Psalm 37, 4 and 5 say, delight yourself in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. When we delight in the Lord and we commit our way to him, he gives us his desires. He gives us his desires. And so we're going to, as we're abiding in the word and we're praying from God, that's what's going to come out of us, his will, his desires. And, and when we do, we know what the answers we're going to get, right? Yes and amen, because we're praying according to his will. In verse 8, it says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. When we abide in his word and bear much fruit, we glorify the Father and we show ourselves to be true disciples of him. Right? So you can see where this is going. We abide in, in, in him. And he abides in us, and we abide in his word, and he's going to bring forth much fruit, right? And it's going to glorify God because it's his fruit. And then the third thing that we need to abide in, in verse 9, it says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And that seems like, you know, abide in Christ, abide in love. But we must abide in Christ's love. What this is talking about, as we grow in intimacy with him, that's how I see it, 
it builds up our relationship with them, right? We're in those devotions, personal time with the Lord, the living God. And day by day, we grow to understand the magnitude of his love for us. I hope you guys are discovering that as you go through life. You make mistakes, you mess up, and you find out the Lord's still just there with you, gently loving you, right? Kind, long-suffering, all the things that are of love, right? As we do that and understand that magnitude of his love, we, we become confident in that. It empowers us to abide in that love as we face tribulations and the attacks of the enemy, right? So as we're building up that relationship in our devotions and we go about our day, we become more secure in that love of Christ, we can face those things because no matter what happens, even when we mess up, we know he loves us, right? He'll never leave or forsake us, amen? Amen. And then the result of that abiding in his amazing love, what will happen is a fruit of that will be our responding love back to him, right? That's what's going to happen. So the fruit's abounding as we stay in him, abide in him in his word. It says in 1 John 4.19, we love him because what? He first loved us, right? He first loved us. So you can see how this is going through relationship with him. Fruit, more fruit, much fruit. In verse 10, it goes on to say, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So the fruit of our love of God is we will also obey God. It's our obedience to God. It says, keep my commandments. When we obey from a motivation of love, it's not like obeying the law um, for duty or to earn salvation or something, because we know, of course, that we can't. When love leads to obedience, we enter into a deeper fellowship with Jesus. That's when love and obedience are working together the way God intends. Turn or look back or turn back to John 14 for a moment on this and we'll see the relationship between loving God and obeying God and I think so clearly. And I think I would use these verses last week. Are you there? Look in, in John 14 and verse 21. It reads, He who has my commandments and keeps them that keeps is treasuring and includes obeying. We treasure it, so we hold on to it tightly so that we do it. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then in verse 23, it says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. There it is again. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now we see a loving that, that when we're in that loving, that union of loving and obeying him, it opens the door to great intimacy. Those two things go hand in hand, right? So if we love him, we're going to obey him. Note how it talked about Jesus manifesting himself and God making his home with us, right? So, so look at that. That's a great uh, devotion right there to do just on John 14. There's so much in there. So it's important. Now I want to look at the fruit that comes as a result of abiding in all these things. Abiding in him, uh, abiding in his word, and abiding in his love. Look at first, verse 11 of John 15. It says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And it might think like, whoa, that's a fruit I'm enjoying? Doesn't, that doesn't seem right. It's, isn't the fruit so to other people we do that? And in a sense, yes, it is. But, but it's a little different here because it does benefit other people because joy, joy is infectious, isn't it? When you're just around somebody like that, it draws, it'll draw other people to the Lord. I mean, doesn't the world right now need people that are full of joy? That they see the joy of the Lord in us? Don't, isn't that what they need? Don't we see just the opposite of that right now? So the world needs that, guys. And the joy, that joy is powerful. In Nehemiah 8.10, it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy is your strength. Our joy in him strengthens us to continue to walk in love and obedience and to face the battles of this life. So it's powerful. Enjoy the Lord. Be joyful about it and show that to, to people around you, right? Bear that fruit to people. The world needs that right now. And finally, in verse 12, we see the other love that is the fruit of abiding in Christ and in his word. We talked about our loving God that came from his loving us. In verse 12, it says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And what will that love look like when it manifests towards others? We, we see that in Galatians 5, 23. It tells us it'll be joy and peace 
long-suffering with people, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things will be seen in when we're dealing with people because that's where it's really going to be uh, key with our fruit. Uh, we'll, we'll, the people will see that coming out of us as we deal with others, as we relate to people. And that will only happen if we're abiding in Christ. And are you seeing that fruit? Are you seeing that fruit in your life? And, and you've got to ask yourself, would your family and your friends, the ones who see you mostly and know you the most, would they say, oh, yeah, I'm seeing a bunch of fruit in his life? Um, I think most of the time mine would probably say I'm just a fruitcake rather than they're seeing the fruit in my life. But neither here nor there. God is gracious, right? Uh, and if so, is it in abundance? Because remember, if you read through John 15, you'll see that we're to bear fruit, it says, more fruit, and then much fruit. See, so that's just a continual, that continual growing in the Lord through our relationship with him. And as we do, these aspects of love should find their expression towards, uh, in some way, service, serving others. Because love requires action, right? Love others, it's a verb, it requires action. In Matthew 20, 25 to 28, Jesus says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be the servant. And what, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So, let that fruit, bring that fruit forth and, and find ways to love on people, to serve them in love, to, to find ways to meet other people's needs, okay? Because if that fruit of love is coming in, it's not, it's not this way. It's outward, right? It's outward. It's hanging off us, us branches, right, for other people to enjoy. And from a church standpoint, find what moves your heart to passion and compassion, Whatever the work of the Lord's doing in you, find that place where you have a compassion for people, a passion towards them, and then look at our church and look where the ministries that are there and where you can uh, join up in that ministry so that you have a place where you can bear that fruit to them and love on them, right? So, so look for that from that standpoint. You can do that in your day-to-day -day with individuals meeting in the world, but you've got a church here to work from that's full of ministries, Right? Find that one, look, keep your eyes open, see something that stirs your heart, and then go for that. If you're not, um, if you're not seeing this fruit in your life, then you've got to check your abiding meter, right? You've got to check your abiding meter. You've got to double-check your devotional life first. Is it what it used to be? You need to check that because that's where it's all going to rise up out of, right? We talked about that last week. Because as we draw closer to Christ, more intimate, more deeply intimate with him, it will produce fruit. It can't help because he is life. That's going to come out of us. And when it does, it will abound to your joy and to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. So, so abide, guys. Abide in Christ. Abide in his word. Abide in his love and then let Christ just live his life through you and love on other people, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, okay? Amen? So that's not too bad. We're doing pretty good. That's the first study. <laughs> all right, we're going. So that's so important, guys. That, that fruit is so important nowadays. There's such a contrast. There should be such a contrast between the world and, and us right now. We can't get too caught up in this. I was talking with Brother Randy earlier. Man, we've got to be different. We're supposed to be light and salt to this world, amen? And so that we need that fruit to happen, so we've got to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so he can do that work in us. But as we're trying to do that, uh, we've got to know it's vitally important that we understand that all these things we've covered, these first three sessions, it's not going to go unchallenged. It's not going to go unchallenged. The minute we became disciples, we entered into the battlefield. It doesn't matter whether we want it or not, we're in it. If we try to remain ignorant to it or we try to ignore it, it's not going to stop our enemies from, from, from uh, destroying our relationships, from um, ruining our testimony and robbing uh, us of, our, of that joy that I just talked about. We got enemies. We, we, got, we, we got enemies that are coming after us. 
They want to destroy and hinder all of that. So we've got to be conscious of that daily uh, battle that we got and the, and the weapons that we have at our disposal in this fight. And that's what we're going to talk about now. We're going to talk about the fight in our discipleship. So turn to Ephesians 2, if you would. We're going to start there. and Because it, it, it shows us these enemies that we've got. We've got it. And I don't believe it was a coincidence that uh, those first three verses are right there in chapter 2 of Ephesians. Uh, because in Ephesians, uh, Paul opens up in chapter 1, he's talking about the wealth of the believer, right? He's talking about the wealth that we have in Christ, that he gave us every spiritual blessing under heaven, that we are holy and blameless before him, that we are accepted in the beloved, and so on and on and on and on. There's so many things in there of just the wealth that Christ has given us. And then we get, start off in chapter 2, and it reveals we got enemies that are going to try to rob us of that, that we're not going to be able to enjoy that or bear forth fruit from that towards loving other people, right? So let's read uh, about them uh, starting in Ephesians 2.1. It says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, enemy number one, the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, enemy number two, the devil, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh and of our mind, enemy number three, the flesh, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. So enemy number one, the devil. In verse two, it tells us who he is and what he does. It says he's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. In other words, he rules over those who are perishing. It says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Even when they don't realize it, uh, he'll use them in his schemes, right? And a lot of times that'll be aimed towards us as believers. We're seeing a lot of that and all that's going on these days too. And we need to be aware of that when we're dealing with those who aren't in Christ. My wife's always fond of saying, well, they don't know the Lord. And I'm like, still want to smack them, you know? It's like, not very fruitful there in those, sometimes in those cases, right? But we got to be aware of that because remember, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, it says, right, in chapter 6. And, and we too once, uh, once walked this course the course of the world, and we're blind as they are, right? We, we, we've been there that, that too. So when we run into those people and the enemy's using them and there's that warfare going on, we got to keep that in mind. But we're no longer that because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world, amen? And, and, uh, and, we, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit and we have the light of his word, right? So... We're, we once walked, now we're not there anymore. But we better make use of those things because the fact that we're in the Word now and we're doing all that, um, that doesn't mean the enemy's not going to keep trying to tear us down and beat us up. Hey, Pastor Rob, that, that's not going to happen, especially if you do step out in service. Uh, the more you do for Christ, the more the enemy's going like, to want to take you down. So we got to uh, we got to know that we have the Spirit, we have the Word of God, right? We're no longer we once walked that way. We're not that way, but He can still take us down. He can still ruin things. He's a clever liar, so we got to be alert for Him. And when He's when He's on the move, like it says in First Peter five eight, it says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour." He calls him our adversaries, like a roaring lion. And like a lion, he likes to seek to devour the unprotected or the weak, right? You're unsuspecting. That's why I say we've got to be aware of that warfare that's there. He loves to isolate the believer, he, whether physically keeping them out of fellowship. He's trying to do that right now. So we've got to stay really close to the Lord and thank God we've got this going on right now. Or in his thinking, he wants to isolate him, think I'm the only one. You guys ever think like that? Like, oh, man, I blew it. Man, I wish I was like these other guys. Don't worry, you are like these other guys. Okay, we all have those times where we fall short of his glory. So and that's why it's great we have a fellowships like this and we have godly friends. Amen? You guys, hopefully you have that and you've, you've uh, made use of that at times where you're thankful you had that godly friend. And Paul tells us, though, we don't have to be weak links, though, in this. In Ephesians 6.10, he tells us how. And he tells us we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, his strength, his power, his might. 
right? And so Paul tells us in verse 11 of Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I'm going to be in in Ephesians 6 for a while, so if you want to flip a little further ahead from chapter 2, that's where we'll be. You see, and the armor is God, guys. That's what you got to see in that passage. Put on the whole armor of God. Or to put it another way, the armor is all that we have and all that we are in Christ. Each piece reflects that in some way. I mean, there's so much we could do with this passage that would take many sessions and then I definitely will run to midnight but what I want to simply do is just show you how each piece of this amongst other things relates to that relationship we have in Christ and who we are in him so I want to look at that so we can see just the fullness of who we are in Christ and and how we we can be strong in the Lord and the power and his uh, power of his might so we understand that we have defenses but we got to walk in that fullness of him that's what we got to want to strive towards knowing him greater and knowing all we have in him all he's made available in in chapter one I talked about that in Ephesians he's given us every spiritual blessing under heaven but we got to make the withdrawals guys we got to make the withdrawals so in verse 14 it talks about gird your waist with the truth or some call it the belt of truth and this is the Lord spoke to me. This is in the area of our core. There's another thing about they tucked up the robe to run and all that. But what I want to see, I want you to see here, that kind of sounds kind of girly. So I'm not going to go that way, right? A bunch of men here. So that's like the area of our core. And the core of our being as men of God is the truth of God's word. Amen? That's the, that's the core. That we need to strengthen that daily, right? This is like the, the word of God being in it day in and day out. That's kind of like the ultimate core training for us Christians, right? Forget planks. We've got to do devotions every day on God's word. And in verse 14, it also says the breastplate of righteousness. This protects the vital parts of the body. Turn, hold your place there in Ephesians 6 and just turn back till you get to Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 17. Because I really want you to see this. This is powerful our righteousness, guys, this is so incredibly powerful for, for us if you see this. It was a huge truth that God spoke to me one day in my devotion. It has always been like a, a huge thing and has helped my walk so much. I'll start reading it as you kind of get there. In, in Romans five seventeen, it says, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace, and here it is, of the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. We are righteous in him. God has given us his righteousness, guys. That's how he sees us. It's a gift. That's big right there. That is really, really big. Take that idea and and really go through chapter 5. I love it. I call it the much more chapter. Like three or four times it says, but much more. We didn't just get saved. There's so much more that God has given us. And here's why this is so powerful. If, if I will simply just receive that fact, that gift of his righteousness by faith and set my mind then on him, his Holy Spirit will lead me in righteousness. That's what's going to happen. He's going to enable me to walk in righteousness. The idea I'm trying to get across here is what we are to set our mind on. That's, that's the key here. When we set it on sin in order to try not to sin, right, and to live righteously, we're going to fail. What does Romans 7 say? The things I want to do, I don't do. So if we try to do that in our own strength and we're going to fight against sin and we're going to not sin, we're going to fail, guys. It's just going to be frustration is what's going to happen there. But if we set our mind on the Spirit, he will lead us by God's abundant grace. One author put it this way. He was, he was summing up uh, in his book, about Romans 8, we die to ourselves as our point of reference, and he becomes our point of reference now. So it's not us striving to not sin. It's just us, as we've talked about, following Christ, trusting that he has given us his righteousness. In his eyes, we are righteous. And so in Paul, in back um, in that area in Romans 5, 21, then he sums it up. He says, so that as sin reigned in death, We were once dead in our trespasses and sin. Even so, grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Christ our Lord. So trust, he sees you as righteous. So if you want to walk righteously, don't don't try to fight against sin. You're not going to do that. It ain't going to happen. Hate sin. Hate it when you fall short of his glory. 
but, but trust in Christ that he has given you his righteousness and just set your eyes on him and follow him. Okay, amen? Hope that, hope that helps. Really think about that and really look at that passage later. Then in verse 15, we go back um, to, uh, uh, to Ephesians 6, excuse me. In verse 15, our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So the feet shod speaks of a readiness. When we are always ready to share the gospel of, of peace, we are protected against making it all about ourselves, right? It's not a message of, of me. It's, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we, anytime we do that and we get things off of us, like the trying to not sin thing, then, then that's always going to uh, cut the devil's legs out. Right? The minute we start thinking it's about us or I'm going to do this or what, that's a bad thing. So th- those, um, those uh, gospel shoes, so to speak, being shod uh, just as a readiness to go share the gospel. And if we focus on Christ and not us, it's always going to be a blessing to, to our life. In verse 16, we have the, the shield of faith. And our faith, it's, it's the object of our faith that's important here, not the strength of my faith. Our faith is in the faithful one the faithful one, not ourselves again. As, and so we can be confident in our defense that when we hold up that shield of faith because it's not about the strength of our faith, it's the, it's the power and the strength of the one we have faith in, amen? Because even when we are faithless, he is faithful, right? And we can, always, and we can trust in that. So again, we're not, it's not me, how, faith, how much faith do I have? We want to stir up as much faith as we can, but that's a gift of God. We have to trust him because he's faithful. And, in, and then in verse 17, it talks about the helmet of salvation. Whenever we think, when we think correctly about our salvation, how much does the devil mess with so many people? Maybe you guys have faced this about whether am I saved or not? I'm struggling with this or that. Am I really saved? I remember seeing so many people like five times within a month going down front to get saved again because they so question whether they're saved because of those battles that they face. But when we think correctly about our salvation, the devil can't mess with our heads about our deserving it or not because we know that we don't deserve it, right? We know we don't deserve it. It's only by God's grace. So when we think that properly, the devil can't come at us from that direction. Like, you ain't saved. You don't deserve to be saved. I think Chuck Smith said in one of his books, like, when the devil says that to you, you go, you're absolutely right. I don't deserve it. And then just go on your way, right? But by God's grace, I am saved. And the other problem we get into is that when we, when we realize that, we don't get up trying to act in ways to try and be saved, to gain our salvation back or any of those things that's going to trip us up. So when we think this way, when we think properly about our salvation, that it's from him so we, so, uh, uh, we don't have to sweat it, then it, it'll... it'll um, it allow us to quench those fiery darts that the, that the devil wants to shoot at us about in that area of our life. Like, you ain't that good. You ain't good. You don't, you're not saved. You're not saved. Look at that. And it'll protect us from doubting our salvation because that's what will happen. We'll try to then to earn it in some way. Um, um, maybe I'm not saved because I'm not doing this and this and that, so now I'm going to go try and do that. You see how that goes? That takes us down a bad path, right? It's only by the grace of God. I love what Peter says about this in 1 Peter 1, about the confidence we can have in our salvation, that we are begotten to a living hope, and that is reserved for us in heaven and kept by the power of God. So the devil can't touch that, guys. We're secure because of the blood of Christ. Amen? Amen? So don't let him mess with you on that one. And the second half of verse 17, we also have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Every charge that the, en- uh, the enemy might make against you, the answer of it is in the word of God. This is why we need to know it as good as we possibly can. We need to read it and reread it and reread it, memorize it if you can, and let it sink uh, deep into your hearts. And don't ever get into like, um, I kind of discovered this, you know, in various battles over the years with the devil. It's like, don't argue with the devil, right? You don't want to argue with the devil. That would be fighting in our own strength, and that's a losing battle. We do like Jesus did in the wilderness, right? When he was tempted by the devil, what did he do? It is written, it is written, it is written, right? He used the word of God, right? Because it's the truth that makes us free, right? So you don't want to get into argument with the devil because that's just a lost cause. And so our second, uh, second enemy we'll go through now is the, is the world. 
Ephesians 6 makes it clear. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. So it's not, don't think of individuals in the sense of the world. What we're battling here is more uh, the lure of the old ways, right? It said in Ephesians 2, the course of this, talked about the course of this world in which we once walked. That's the lure. That's the battle with the world we've got to look out for. The children of Israel understood this. They were and going through the wilderness themselves, right? And they, what were they always doing? They were, every time something got rough, they were looking back to Egypt. Wow, in Egypt we had this and this and that. And like, really? You were in bondage in Egypt, right? So they kept looking back. It was that lure because of the problem in the immediate, right? So it's like, okay, this is starting to look pretty good back there. I'm going to go back there. That's the lure of the world. When things are rough and we're facing warfare, we're, we keep falling short and we start getting down on ourselves, that's that, I might as well just go back and, you know, be in the world and drink and party all the time, right? So there's that, that pull, that lure to that. One of the ways we see this kind of temptation from the old life play out in our life is when buddies who don't understand why we don't want to party with them anymore. Any of you guys have that happen to you? That happens. Look at, well, you know, look at, I'll just read it. It says in 1 Peter 4, 3 and 4, it talks about that. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, in regard to these, they think it's strange that we do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. We could say uh, not running in this flood of dissipation anymore because that's what we used to do with them, right? And there's two ways we can fight against this pressure to return to Egypt, right? Notice it says, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime. We got One thing we got to do, one of the weapons against that pull is to always remember what it was really like. What were the real consequences back then? Because the, the children of Israel did that, right? All of a sudden they want to go back. Oh, we had some food and everything. And then they forgot all the, the, the bad consequences, everything that made them crying out to the Lord to come save us. Uh, so we always want to remember the consequences of that past life. And then second, in the verse following that, in verse 5 in First Peter, it says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And this is something we've got to remember when that world's trying to pull us back. There's a reckoning coming for people that live that life. It's easy to forget the lure of the t- uh, because of the lure of the temporary satisfaction of the moment, to forget all the things that happened when we did all those things back then. But God's pr- principles will always hold true. If you sow to the flesh, you are going to reap corruption, right, no matter what you do. And if, that, if that's unrepented, then you'll suffer that corruption for all eternity right so we got to remember there's a reckoning coming right so when that lure to go back to the world comes we got to remember those things and another weapon that we can employ against uh, that enemy of the world or the course of this world uh, comes in first john 2 15 to 17 um i'll just read it to you so we kind of move along here because it's getting close to midnight now uh no just kidding do not love the world or the things in the world If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So what do we see about the world in this? this? We see the lust of the flesh. I, I want what feels good to me. Right? We have the lust of the eyes. I want what look, I want to have what looks good to me right? And then we have the pride of life. I want those because it's all about me, right? The pride of life. And these things uh, of the world will always, uh, things of the world always try to keep our eyes focused on, on us and on the temporal. What can I get now? What feels good? What looks good? What makes me look good? And, and keep us, our eyes off of God and the, the eternal, right? that eternal and, and thinking, keeping in mind that uh, I said that reckoning that's coming and thinking in that, that way, the eternal perspective. Uh, so we must make uh, uh, loving our father and his will our daily priority. Focus on those riches of his kingdom, right? Not those temporary things that never took us anywhere anyway, but focusing on his riches, right? We t- talked about that in Ephesians 1, right? All that wealth of what we've got, every spiritual blessing. That's what we've got to look to. And, re- and remind, in this passage, it talked about, and remind yourself that the things of the world and the lust of them is passing away. 
So they may be enjoying it now, but it's passing away. And along with those who live by them and live for them, they're passing away too. I, I always try to take it to the extreme where this is going to go. A little bit what we were talking about earlier, I was talking with Randy, is their destination, keep this in mind, is the lake of fire. Is the lake of fire. And, and that's no, got no hope of reprieve and, and no even moment of relief right? Pain and agony and despair, hopelessness for all of eternity. That makes the thing of this world pale a little bit when we know that was, that's coming for people like that. Uh, other than for us who love the Father and his will, we get to look forward to eternity of lo- perfect love and peace and patience. So, right? so the temporary um, things of this world they kind of pale in comparison, and we're but a vapor, so this world's not going to last all that much longer. So we've got to keep our mind focused on that when the world wants to lure us back into those things. And now the third enemy, and I think this is, this is enemy number one I put here, because uh, except for our flesh, the devil and the world couldn't do nothing to us. They couldn't get at us. They get at us because of the, our flesh. That's how they can come in at us, right? They can't come from our spirit, because our spirit is in union with the Holy Spirit, right? Our generated spirit, it says those who are joined to the Lord are one spirit with him, right? So they come at us from our flesh. In Ephesians 2.2, remember it said about the lust of the flesh, in which you once walked. Once walked, guys. Past tense. We got to remember that. We're not meant to walk in that anymore is what that's saying, right? So never think, oh, well, it's okay, I'm going to sin anyway, it's just the way it is. With the... No. And once, and it, we once walked that. God doesn't want us to walk that way anymore. Turn to Galatians 5 for the last part of this. And there's a, a number of uh, verses in that that are powerful towards this and the flesh. We'll look at some of the things that it says in there so we can understand this enemy of the flesh and how to and how not to fight it is in these, past, in these verses here. Galatians 5. God's word is awesome. It's so awesome. It, it has the answers to everything about life, how to live this thing, how to fight the battles, how to bear fruit. Um, in verse 17, it tells us there, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. We must um, see about the flesh that it is uh, active, actively and purposefully our enemy. Actively and purposefully our enemy. It lusts against the spirit. What I mean is this isn't some neutral thing waiting for us like the flesh is just like, I'm just kicking back back here and then I start looking at the wrong thing I should be looking at on the internet or something and then the flesh, whoa, somebody's looking at the internet. No, he's he's after us. He's always press. The flesh is always pressing towards us, always, always trying to draw us in. It hungers after what it wants. That's what it lusts against the spirit. So that's why, um, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but in times, hopefully in the way, way past, um, that if you even begin to start thinking about something, like thoughts come into your mind, and you start some of those things you did in the past, and you start thinking about that, there's that, that pull. You ever feel that? You know what I'm saying? That? I don't even know how to put that into words, but there's almost that, like, that pull, and you're like, no, no, I'm not, that's not me anymore. I'm not going to do that. It's because the flesh is always pressing in. It's a full-out enemy. This is not a neutral thing, okay? And as the verse says, the flesh and the spirit are contrary to one another. So there's no reckoning the two there either. That's why I say we've got to keep that in mind that uh, the flesh is actively against us and in no way is there any good. There's nothing, nothing good in me that is in my flesh, Paul said in Romans. So our focus should never be on the flesh, trying to make it ever do what, do what it will never do. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, that goes to our self-effort there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for the Lord. I'm not going to do this. I'm, that's not going to work with the flesh. That, that's not how the fruit's going to come out of our lives. We have to set our eyes on the Spirit and let him lead us, right? Let him lead us. 
Here's, here's the way it says it in, in um, Romans uh, 8.5. 8.5 it says, and I'm going to say this kind of in the way it's intended in it. So if you remember this verse, it's not verbatim the way it is. But this is what it means. For those who live according to the flesh have set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit have set their mind on the things of the spirit. If, you, if you're walking in the flesh instead of the spirit, it's because that's where your mind's been. That's where your mind's been. So that's how, you, that's where you, how you're going to walk, right? So I said earlier, it's what we put our mind on, what we set our mind on. And, and so what we set it on, that's, that's what's going to come out. That's what's going to happen. So if you're acting in the flesh and you have those moments, you might want to take a pause, step back, and say, where's my head been at recently? Have I been out of the devotions? Have I been thinking like bad thoughts towards my wife? She's driving me crazy. Those kids, are, you know, I want to kill them. And, you know, you got to look at where you've really been at. And we talked about this last week in devotions. You got to be real and raw about it. Otherwise, you're never going to see it, right? You got to be brutally honest with yourself. So, so that's what you got you to keep in mind always where your mind is at. That's where it's going to lead you, right? Either on the flesh or the spirit. And the flesh will make itself known mostly in our dealings with other people. That's, that's mostly where this is going to happen. Verse 13 gives us a weapon against that. This was awesome when I saw this the other day. It says in verse 13 in Galatians 5, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. Isn't that awesome? So Paul tells us by serving one another, we can avoid getting into the realm of the flesh with people. See, if it's, again, if it's me, 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 and then I come up against you and you're me, 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 then, then, uh, then it's going to be a mess. It's going to be us, us, us going at it, right? But if I'm thinking in terms of well, how can I serve you, and then you're thinking the same thing, the good things are going to come out of that, right? I was going to tell a story about my wife when we married, but I can see I don't want to go that far. That's how, that's how we end up at midnight, right, on those stories. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, though, let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interest of others. You've got to take care of business. Of course, you've got you know, things you're gonna, you have to do in life and all that. You take care of your family. And, but, you know, you have to keep in mind other people. We have to be other-minded. And, and in verse 5 of that, in Philippians 2, it says, this is the very mind of Christ. Have this same mind, it says, right? And Christ gave up everything for us, right? He, he stepped off the throne of heaven as God for, and us and became a man, right? He didn't regard himself, you know, to be as God, right? He lowered himself even unto death. How can we not do the same thing, guys? How can we not do the same thing? That definitely is a very convicting Another way that the flesh can rear its ugly head that I saw in this passage in chapter 5 of Galatians is in our efforts to live, and I talked about this a, a minute ago, to, our efforts to live righteously according to the law. And that sounds good. This has the appearance of, of being good, but in reality it's an action of pride because it's geared towards self-justification. Right, It's my own effort, my own flesh that I'm going to act righteously by my efforts. In verse 18 of Galatians 5, if you look at it, it says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So we have to learn to live in relationship with the Spirit and be led by Him, not our own flesh. Right? When I try to be justified by the law through my efforts, that's just pride. Look what I did. I'm self-justifying myself. Romans 8.14 says, Those who do are the sons of God. Right, so being led by the Spirit is what the sons of God are supposed to do. He wants to lead us in that sense. And, and here's the powerful thing. When we get this and we don't try to do it in our strength and, and all that, and we are led by the Spirit, in Romans 8.15, it, it then tells us that doing so will keep us from those bondages of our flesh. It says, for you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, right? Right, so, so by being, and, and that was just prior to it saying, those who are the sons of God are led by the spirit, right? And so if we allow him to do that, that's going to keep us free from those bondages of the flesh. You see? Amen. So we got to do that. 
So how can we know when we're being led by the Spirit versus the flesh, right? How can we do that? Paul says it's evident, right? It's fruit, bad fruit and good fruit in this case. In verse 19 to 21 in Galatians 5, we see what it looks like when the flesh is in charge. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Sounds like the nightly news right now, doesn't it? It is. We, and that's just in Washington. No. But, but isn't that what we see right now? Isn't that what we see right now? On the other hand, hopefully as men of God, verse 22 and 23, it shows us the fruit of, that we're being led by the Spirit. Here's what we're going to see, right? We all know it. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everything that the world doesn't have. But that's at our disposal if we'll just follow the Spirit, if we'll abide in his word and abide in Christ and abide in his love. He'll do that work in us, and then we can be those lights to the world, right? We can be those lights. Finally, let's take a look uh, kind of in closing here. Uh, I want to read from 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. This is, uh, helps us to understand the big key, and I've mentioned this in some ways already, but a key factor in the battles. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, meaning that we're alive, physically alive, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So here's what I want you to see here. I've talked about it already. The battle begins up here, how we think, how we perceive things. Don't, don't get into arguments with the devil, which will take the form of discussions in your own mind. You ever caught yourself doing like, oh, I, I shouldn't, I don't want to, I don't, you know. The devil's in there with that argument. He's coming at you. You don't want to get into those discussions. Instead, when that battle starts, when that starts to go on, we want to quickly go, what, what does this say? What does God say? I'm going to stop this right now, and I'm going to open this up and see what God says, and then I'm just going to do it. That's what I'm going to do. I have to settle in my mind to just do that. Sometimes when your battle in your mind, though, is at its fiercest, you might need help. Okay, so I'm not, you know, God says we're strong in him, but sometimes we might need help. So if that happens, get up and go to a brother that you know that you're close with, right? A brother in the Lord. Call him or go over to his house and, and pray together. Seek the word together. Worship together. Don't try to go do it on your own. Don't isolate yourself and keep trying to fight the temptation. No, I don't want to do this. I don't want to... I don't know if you've been there, but that's, if you're at that point already, it, it's trouble. That's trouble. We've got to get off of that argument thing and that discussion thing right to the Word of God. And if we need help, we need to call a brother in Christ to help us through that. Because, again, one of the devil's favorite tactics is to get us alone. It's that line of 1 Peter 5, right? He loves to go after the weak. Maybe it's just you're weak in that moment and you're lagging behind the rest of the herd, right? We've seen all those, you know. National Geographic things where the lion going after the weak, weak one. In Romans 12, 2, he reveals the importance of this thought life also, and it tells us how we be strengthened in that. It tells us to be, what, transformed by the renewing of our minds and not be conformed to that old way of thinking, okay? So these are, these are the enemies we face, the devil, the world, our own flesh, and they're relentless, guys. Until Christ comes and takes us home, it's going to be there. We're men. We can't wah-wah about this thing. It just is what it is. We've got to understand it. We've got to know what our weapons of our warfare are. But here's the great thing. They might be relentless. They'll keep at us. But God promises if we abide in him, he says, no weapon formed against us will prosper. Amen. So remember, if we are to bear fruit for the glory of our Father and stand against the wiles of the enemy... The two greatest weapons that we have, we've talked about it in these sessions, follow close to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as his disciples and stay grounded in that committed, passionate fellowship with Jesus Christ and the Word of God through the Holy Spirit and let him do that work every day, right? Every day, every man. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray, guys. Father God, oh, thank you so much 
Thank you so much for the work you do in our lives, Lord. You, you truly do use the foolish things of the world, Lord. And we, we recognize our foolishness at times. But thank you that you are patient with us, Lord God. You are you're the epitome of love, long-suffering, kind, and gentle with us. You do that work in us, Lord. You dig and, and you break up the, the, the hard soil sometimes of our heart. And you soften it and you water it with the, the water of your Holy Spirit, Lord God. And you, and you work in us and you plant those seeds, the seeds of your word. And you bring forth that fruit in its time, Lord. It's amazing what we see, Lord, even thinking about what Rob said about Kirk, uh, Kurt, uh, Lord, that where he came from and that work that you did and where he's at now. We can see that in our own lives, and we're so thankful for that, Lord. And we recognize in this life we've got enemies, Lord, but we are thankful that, that he's got nothing on you, that greater is he that is in the world, Lord. You are the almighty God, the eternal one, and he is not, Lord. And so we make our stand with you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness in our life. We thank you that you, uh, can, you make us strong, Lord. You make us strong in you, able to, to fight that. Help us, Lord, to be those lights to this crazy world right now, Lord, that's so turned upside down, to be the salt of the earth, to give it flavor, um, Lord God, because it's the joy of the Lord um, that we can uh, bring forth to them, Lord God. We love you, Lord God. Knowing you is so incredible. We want the world to see that, and we don't want anybody to spend eternity in the lake of fire, Lord God. We want them all to know you, so continue to do that work in us. Help us to find that place of service where we can love on others, Lord God, in, in the way of building up your kingdom, Lord God. So continue your work of discipleship in each of our lives, Lord. Help us to grow more and more into your image, Lord God, so that when the world looks at us, they see you, they see what you truly are all about, not, not us, our flesh, Lord, and that all would want to repent and then turn to you. Have your way with us, we pray, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's men said, amen. amen.